Good morning and welcome to another edition of our St. Paul Sunday morning Bible study uh, here locally in the St. Louis area for the members of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere uh, on AM 850 in St. Louis KFUO and worldwide on KFUO.org. Uh, I'm Pastor Tanner Wade, the assistant pastor here at uh, St. Paul's, and today we've got four lesson, lessons, I should say, in God's Word to go over for the following weekend, which would be August 30th. So, as is our usual practice, we will cover today uh, the lessons that will be read as part of the three-year lectionary series next weekend. Uh, and we're going to begin, usually I like to go uh, in order, but today I want to change it up just a little bit. And we're going to do the uh, epistle lesson actually first, because I think that just has a lot of great nuggets for not only uh, our lives today, but also when you look in the context, what Paul is really talking about in Romans chapter 12 about uh, what the Christian life should look like as, as a general principle. And there's some really important things that he highlights there. After that, we'll take a look at the psalm, which is going to be Psalm 26, the gospel, and then finally... Uh, the Old Testament reading last. So before we begin, let's have a word of prayer. Uh, dear Lord, we come to you this morning very thankful for the many gifts that you have given us. Thankful for those working so hard right now to keep us safe in, in all walks of life. Thankful for the wisdom you've given those in government's uh, leadership positions. And then we pray that you would continue to bless our leaders um, of both the uh, parties to just uh, follow your will, Lord, that all that we would do as a country, all that we would do as a community here in St. Louis would be to the glory of your holy name and in accordance with your will for us and our lives. We pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now, normally I'd have a handout for you guys on the, on the gym bleachers at St. Paul's uh, in the gym when we have this Bible study, but because there is uh, no in-person Bible study uh, quite yet with the COVID-19 pandemic. We are uh, going to read the lesson in its entirety first, and then I'm going to go through it kind of bit by bit after that. So Romans 12, starting at verse 9, we hear Paul write to the Christians in Rome, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome be over, sorry, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil 
with good. The reason I wanted to cover this lesson first uh, is this this reading actually has a few uh, uh, special spots in my heart, at least, uh, as it was one of the uh, it was the reading we were assigned in our first uh, homiletics class at the seminary for one of the first sermons we ever wrote. Um, and I, 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 I hesitate to even read that sermon now because uh, obviously there's a lot of growth and a lot of learning that happens from the time you uh, begin the ser- uh, your first sermon ever and writing that at the seminary and to the time uh, you're now a full-fledged pastor in a congregation. But uh, I'll, I'll always remember it, one, for that, for that very reason, uh, but also because of how prevalent um, or how relevant, I should say, that Paul's words are for our lives today, especially uh, especially in today's culture that focuses so much on really uh, pointing out every flaw that you can uh, that often does not not only not follow what uh, Paul lists here as marks of a true Christian, but often is just the opposite. And so to me, this is one of those verses that has an incredible practical um, and relevant uh, idea and understanding of our lives in Christ even today. Um, But before we begin by looking at verse 9, I want to go back to Romans 12 verse 1 because it puts in perspective why Paul brings this up. Uh, as he does. Romans 12 verse 1 may be a familiar verse to many of you. Uh, It's, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. In the NIV, the way I memorized it when I was a a child was, in view of God's mercy. So I can't help but think of that uh, whenever I read that. But by the mercies of God, in view of God's mercy, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. Now, why bring up that first verse, uh, I will specifically want to focus on the fact that Paul frames what he's about to say in Romans 12, 9 through 21, what we'll read, with in view or by the mercies of God, with the understanding of the mercies of God, here's how we act. Uh, without really bringing that context into this, this could appear at first to just be uh, a real law-heavy section that, that, that doesn't... Um, that doesn't necessarily have explicit gospel or, you know, in it like you might find in some other verses, especially in Romans. However, when you think about it in context, that in view of God's mercies, these this is how uh, you're supposed to act. These are the things you are supposed to do. And so then we get to verse 9. Let love be genuine. And literally in the Greek there, uh, that word is uh, a word you probably uh, would not recognize, but when you hear it sounded out, uh, would make a lot of sense. It's literally in the Greek, uh, an anti-hypocrite, an on upachristos, uh, meaning upachristos uh, was a hypocrite, a play actor. Um, what actors would do on stage in Greek tragedies and in Greek dramas and comedies, um, feigning uh, a sense of a reality that wasn't truly there. Uh, this is, that word genuine in the Greek is to be an anti one of those, to be in an opposite um, of those type of people, to be truly genuine in your love. Abhor or hate uh, what is evil. Have a vehement dislike for what is uh, not of God. 
And in the Greek there, it's literally the poneros. And hold fast to what is good. Hold fast to the good things of God. So we have an immediate uh, juxtapositional idea of abhorring, vehemently disliking what is evil, and holding tightly, clinging to what is good. Uh, in some sense, you were supposed to be repulsed by what is evil and be drawn in to that which is good. And then Paul says in verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. And a word that many Americans know because it's one of our famous cities, Philadelphia. Uh, brotherly affection is brotherly love. Love one another in a brotherly sense, in a familial sense. Watch out, you know, essentially watching out for one another. Uh, and then Paul continues in verse 10, outdo one another in showing honor. Now, of course, we could almost think of a, a, a comedic end to that, right? If everyone kept one-upping uh, each other, we could we could be at a, actually a very desirable place fairly quickly. Um, and that's been a comedic troupe on a, a few uh, older sitcoms where someone uh, tries to outdo someone and then it gets to a ridiculous level. But here Paul's really talking about how we are to regard one another, not necessarily outdo one another in showing honor by getting gifts or lavishing things on people, which, I mean, there, there's no problem with giving a gift to show your appreciation of someone, certainly, but really how you view them internally. How, what, what is the place, what is the status they have in your life? When you come across a fellow Christian, when you come across a fellow human, do you think of them as just a, a, a somebody that maybe you have an acquaintance with, maybe not? Or do you think of them as how God looks at them, one whom he loves, one whom he cherishes, one whom he loved to know uh, his word and his promise and his gift of eternal life? So really, when Paul says, outdo one another in showing honor, uh, it is with respect to how you regard one another, uh, how you value one another. So do you value highly uh, those in your life that you may not have a deep personal relationship with, but have this connection in a, in a church congregation, like a place here at St. Paul's, we have uh, quite a few members. It would be almost an impossibility to be able to know every single one uh, and know what's going on in their life. Certainly, it, it would be an, a total impossibility. And yet, um, when you come across someone here at St. Paul's or out in your workplace, out in your daily life, how do you regard them? Do you honor them with how you treat them and how they are valued to you as an individual? Uh, and so, again, this is something where oftentimes in today's world, uh, we value the things that are close to us, but someone we don't know super well, we may not give a, a second thought to. If we have a friend that needs help, we'll gladly help them. But often, if we don't know someone well, maybe, yeah, we hear about it or have a quick conversation with someone about it, but don't maybe go to the same length or the same, uh, go to bat for them in the same manner as we would a friend. And really, Paul's kind of speaking out against that, that we ought to be showing one another honor, highly valuing one another. So verse 11, uh, Paul says, do not be uh, slothful in zeal. Um, and really, that word slothful, again, that, that's kind of an interesting English translation. It's literally to be um, shrinking from something. 
And so here it's a it's a discussion of what our um, what our faith is like. Are are we shrinking from opportunities to grow, even in the midst of a pandemic, shrinking uh, in our opportunities to study God's word, perhaps teach God's word to our family? We've had more time with our families in the last uh, last few months than many of us have had in probably the last few years because we've been forced to change our lives so much to go from the hustle and bustle of what had been going on um, to being forced to stay at home for uh, a lot of what we do, whether it's work or school. And uh, now as we return to some norm normalcy, as I, I'll call it, um, with our school opening back up, albeit with a lot of restrictions, with testing and, and a lot of uh, protocols in place to keep everyone as safe as possible, um, as we begin to go back to that hustle and bustle, and eventually we will return to where we were at uh, pre-COVID-19, it might be a while, but we will get there, do we... Do we still keep maybe those extra moments in our lives where we spend time with our families in God's word or teaching our children or our grandchildren or relatives about who God is, who Jesus is, and what he's done for us? And Paul continues with, be fervent, fervent uh, in, uh, in spirit. And of course, that is fervent in the Holy Spirit, um, that, that you are... Uh, the Holy Spirit, you're allowing the Holy Spirit to uh, ooze almost out of you. That that It's almost an uh, uncontrollable uh, gift that you've been given. Now, of course, there's some metaphor in there when I say uh, oozing out of you. Uh, but really, as one redeemed by Christ, as one called to love others as Christ loved us, uh, we ought to be living examples and pretty consistent living examples of that gift that he's given us. And then finally, Paul says in verse 11, serve the Lord. Uh, if you're tired of these commands that he's given in the first three verses, the next uh, the next nine verses won't be much of a reprieve for you because he continues in verse 12 with rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. And boy, doesn't that speak to where we're at right now, that uh, uh, to be patient in a moment of tribulation, to be patient uh, when so many things are still uh, distressing us. When so many things are still troubling us, when so much is still not quite back to the normal that uh, we'd like it to be, whether it's the things we enjoy like uh, recreational sports like slow pitch softball or basketball, or whether it's things like getting together socially with friends, um, or the reality that there's a very serious uh, virus out there that is affecting a lot of people, and we're learning more and more about that every day and what that means, uh, there's a lot to be uh, distressed by, perhaps, be to be uh, in tribulation about. And yet, Paul's reminder is very true for the Roman Christians and very true for us, that we are to be patient. We are to steadfastly endure the tribulation that we have. And Paul uh, continues again with commands, be constant in prayer. That is unceasing. Um, it's in the sense of, you know, this is something you stick through and you, you see through. You don't do it one day and then give it up the next. And as Christians, it can be tough to have a constant prayer life. I know it's something that my wife and I have talked a lot about. How do we, um, how do we in, in a very um, appropriate sense, have a personal, but also a couple's 
prayer life. What does that look like? And then in different seasons in our lives, that has looked very different. But that's something that here Paul reminds the Roman Christians, again, be constant in prayer. And then finally, in verse 13, this will end the first little paragraph. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, I will say, uh, these first uh, four verses here, there's a lot of commands, and there will still be more commands in the last uh, seven verses or so. But these, I feel like most people can get on board with. And this is what's interesting about this section here is we would look at it and say, let love be genuine. That, sound, that sounds pretty good. Uh, we, we don't want to be hypocritical with our love. A lot of people would be on board with that. Uh, be repulsed or abhor what is evil and hold fast, cling to what is good. We, we can also get on board with that. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Yeah, that seems pretty good to us. And showing honor, that's, that's good as well. Uh, you know, being constant in prayer, enduring and being patient in times of struggle and tribulation, rejoicing in hope. This first paragraph are all things that, um, while they're good reminders, they're also not too surprising. And perhaps even when we think about them, we put our minds to them, not too difficult for us as Christians uh, to see how good and how um, how God-pleasing being and doing those things are, and they're often pleasing to us. But then we get to verse 14. And here's where things get a little bit different. Here's where things start to change just a little bit. And maybe Paul tightens the screws, you could say, just a little bit and reminding uh, our own sinful nature in our own lives and the Roman, the Roman Christian sinful nature uh, in the first century, uh, what it truly does mean to be a disciple, a disciple, a follower of Christ. We read in verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Bless those who persecute you. That's where verse 14 starts. That is something that is an immense struggle for us as human beings. If we're to be totally honest, when, you, when someone has gone out of their way, to make your life harder, when someone has gone out either your way, their way, to make you look bad. I don't want to be too generic here, but I can almost guess a hundred percent of us listening, and myself included, uh, our first thought in those moments is not, "How can I bless them today?" And yet Paul reminds us that is exactly what Christ calls us to do to bless those who per uh, persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Now, verse 15, which follows that, is a little, uh, it, it almost harkens back to uh, Ecclesiastes, but there's a time for rejoicing and a time for crying. Uh, verse 15 is rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, and we can again get on board with that. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. That also, you know, might be a little tougher, uh, but again, we can, it seems pretty agreeable with us. But then Paul tightens the screws another time. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. 
of course, we know all too well ourselves how easily, um, how easily we can think well of ourselves, how easily we can think we are better than someone else, how easily we are uh, blind to our own mistakes and so acutely aware of every other mistake someone makes. And so do not be haughty. Do not have that opinion of yourself that you are better than yourself. It's not, you know, it's a straightforward thing, but it's also not, again, as a sinner, as someone with a true sinful nature, it's not the easiest thing um, when you really think about it. What Paul's doing here, he's, he's convicting us. God's word is convicting us pretty strongly with how we often approach our own lives. Uh, never be wise in your own sight. Uh, I hate to think uh, what would happen if uh, we collected a dollar, everyone got a dollar for every time they were wise in their own sight, only to realize later how foolish they were truly being. Uh, I, you think back to not only times of childhood and adolescence growing up through high school and college, but uh, even in our uh, adult lives, as we go about our lives, how often we can be so quick to be wise in our own sight, uh, to point out how smart this idea was that we had, or that if someone would have just listened to us, it would have been better. We really should do it this way because that's the right way. And I know what's best, how quickly we can be wise in our own sight. And especially when it comes to this pandemic, I, I you know, if you ask 20 people what the best course of action is, you'd probably have around 20 different answers. And I'm sure all 20 people would say, their idea is best. Uh, this pandemic has only heightened our own sense that our own wisdom is superior to anyone else's. Uh, it doesn't take, I'm sure we all know of people who are very strongly opinionated one way or the other, and you will not be able to convince them. And maybe it is even you, maybe taking a look in the mirror, you see what's going on and you're very strongly opinionated one way or the other, and you will not budge as to what a differing opinion might say that truly we are so quick to think that what we have to say what we think what is oftentimes just in reality best for us is how the whole world uh, should operate and then we get into verse 17 and again those screws paul just tightens them even tighter repay no one evil for evil but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And again, you know, you might think, well, this you've been saying the same thing over and over and over for the last 20 minutes. Um, in this way, I think part of the reason Paul is so repetitive is because he knows uh, we need to hear this over and over and over. And it may seem like some of these things are synonymous with some of the other things he listed, but I in some ways, I think that is a little bit the point that, you know, when he says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. He again reminds us, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I personally love that Paul doesn't give us a chance to wiggle out of that last part. <laughs> That he doesn't give us a chance to make an excuse. We'll live peaceably as long as the person's not a knucklehead. Or live peaceably with all so long as uh, they vote the same way I do. 
or live peaceably with all, so long as we have similar interests. Live peaceably with all, so long as we are of the same mindset regarding whatever it is. Uh, no, there's none of that. It's just simply live peaceably with all, as far as it depends on you. Now, when uh, Paul says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, I think one of the important points to, to remind people of is that persecution was a very real thing in these days. And uh, it quite possibly could be that uh, violence was caused against Christians um, by other forces. Yet Paul's word again is, and God's word is clear. So far as it depends on you. Don't look to your left. Don't look to your right. Look right in the mirror, right back at you. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, and in verse 19 we read, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. Again, it may seem like we're uh, saying the same thing over and over and over here, but this is stuff we need to hear. We should not seek to avenge ourselves. And again, this is one where if we had to be honest, our first reaction, our sinful nature, our human instinct when we are wronged is to get retribution. You know, I think of uh, the, the movie uh, The Untouchables about Elliot Ness and Chicago, um, the government's uh, role in trying to clean up the the... Uh, mob activities of the 1930s during the Prohibition era in Chicago. And Sean Connery in that movie has an uh, uh, incredible line, which is, in, in that movie, he says, you know, if the the if one of Capone's guy, Al Capone's guys pulls a knife, you pull a gun. And if he puts someone in the hospital, you put one of his guys in the morgue. And that's the Chicago way. And one of the things that's always struck me about that quote uh, from that movie is really when we think about it, that sometimes is the human way. If someone does something to us, we do it back to them and we might up it just a little bit because maybe that makes us feel better about ourselves to think that, well, we were able to get them back even worse than they got us. Um, and here Paul again leaves no room uh, for wiggling out of it. And this is where I mean it when I say he is just turning the screws on who we are as, as sinners and reminding us what it means, the tough reality, the struggle um, and sometimes the, the contrary to natural instinct that we would normally have reality that we are called to live in, in Christ, to never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. But it's not just not getting vengeance. This last, or one of the second to last verse, verse 20, Paul says, to the contrary, opposed to this. In opposition to this, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Uh, there, there's the old idiom, you know, sometimes killing with kindness. And in one sense, this is exactly what Paul's talking about. And you wonder what would happen as Americans 
uh, as St. Louisans, certainly, um, and certainly as, as Christians, what would happen if we took this verse, uh, these last two verses to heart, and, and really made this a focus of who we are in Christ, that in view of God's mercy, in view of the mercy he has shown on us, we not only not avenge ourselves or repay evil with evil, but when our enemy is hungry, we'd feed him. And when he is thirsty, you'd give him something to drink. If your enemy needs something, don't just uh, punish him. Don't put pour salt in the wound, proverbially. But very truly, remedy what ills him. Fix what bothers him. Bring comfort to the areas where he is uncomfortable. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Why does Paul put it that way? Well, I think one of the things he's pointing out is that uh, it's a it's a zero-win game, a zero-sum game if we uh, simply look to um, <laughs> just try and one-up one another. If we simply... Uh, if we just look to outdo one another with the the, the rottenness and the, the ferocious uh, evil that does exist in our world, we will put ourselves in a very bad spot very, very quickly. And that is certainly contrary to what God wants for us. That it is truly in view of God's mercy, uh, the God that would die for us, the God that would go through excruciating pain and when... His captors, the ones who had nailed him to the cross, came to arrest him, and one of his friends fought them. When Peter cut off uh, the man's ear who came to arrest Jesus in the garden, uh, what's Jesus' response? Not to say, hey, way to go. Thanks for fighting for me. No, he heals the man. He is the living embodiment of giving those uh, who would be your enemies exactly what they need so that they can not only have comfort, but have great joy. Because we were, by nature, enemies to God. In our sin, we were uh, the ones who lived very much in opposition to God. And yet Christ rectified that. Uh, we are no longer aliens, as Paul would say in Ephesians. Uh, strangers are aliens, but we are of the household of God. That we are God's children because Christ was willing to do this very thing. To look at us who would be his enemies and remedy the very things that hurt us the most. The very things that uh, cut God to the core very literally, he would fix by nailing his son to a cross. And finally, we get to the last verse, verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's amazing when you think about it, how Paul phrases that. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What's amazing about it is Paul does not, there's no possibility in how he says that, for evil to triumph. 
evil does not overcome good. Good overcomes evil. But he says to us as Christians, do not be overcome by the evil, the sin, the reality of that sin, uh, and that what it brings that truly does exist in our world. As I think about where we're at right now on the precipice of yet another, I'm sure, hotly contested election uh, across our country, in the middle of a pandemic where we have as many viewpoints, uh, many as many ideologies, many ideas on what the right thing to do would be, um, as I've ever seen with a single issue, you can't help but wonder what would happen if Christians across our country took, again, these uh, 12 verses to heart. To do not uh, repay evil for what is evil. In a world where we almost take pride in our ability to cancel uh, the someone at the first time they make a misstep. Uh, we have no problem boycotting things left and right if something they say is not what we agree with. We uh, have no problem pointing out all the faults of everybody else that doesn't agree with our position, whether it's on mask, whether it's on uh, school, whether it's on politics, whether it's on uh, even what the, the, the right course of action is for county or local officials. We have no problem pointing out everywhere everyone else errs. You know, we struggle immensely, and we, we str- we're struggling right now uh, across the board as a country, I'd say immensely, with taking to heart what Paul talks about here. Blessing those who would persecute you. Right now, we're at a time where we've had to be confronted with a lot of the really, really, truly tragic results of sin. Uh, sins that have occurred for hundreds and hundreds of years. And there has been uh, no shortage of reminders of just how badly we have uh, failed sometimes as a people and how we treat others, whether it's minorities or low-income families or, again, as, as I'd say, people who disagree with us on what the right masking solution is or demasking solution or when we should be doing this with the COVID restrictions or not. Um, We have not, uh, and even sometimes as a church, we can struggle in making sure that we bless those who persecute us. It's one of the reasons why it doesn't matter uh, who is elected in November. Uh, as a church and as a church body and as an individual Christian, we should keep praying for the president and our governor and our county executive and our mayors. And in some ways, it is regardless of who wins, truly regardless. It could be someone you are not even uh, remotely, you can't find one redeemable quality in them. And yet Paul here would call you to bless them, to pray for them to provide them solutions to the problems in their life. You wonder how much pain could be alleviated in this world if we took that seriously. And that's why I wanted to go through this epistle lesson first and spend perhaps a little bit more time on it um, than I would normally spend. We're a little uh, heavy, you'd say, on this passage from Romans, but it is because of how truly relevant this is to how we behave in today's world, specifically here in America, where we do look to uh, tweet out every possible past sin 
or mistakes someone makes. Uh, and like I said, take pride in canceling them, making their lives never recover. And yet, Paul reminds us as Christians, that is the exact opposite. The exact opposite of how we are supposed to live. Let God take care of that. If someone persecutes you, if someone does evil unto you, let God handle that. You focus on what you can do for them. Don't be focused on what others are doing for you. Don't be focused on how imperfect everyone else is, but rather be focused on how much they're loved by God. It is in view of God's mercies that we offer our body as living sacrifices, as 12 verse 1 uh, began this section with. And really, the embodiment of that and the embodiment of this whole section is found in Romans 12 verse 2. And I, I stopped early uh, before because I didn't want to get to this yet, but this is a well-known verse, a very well-known verse, but it directly talks to how antithetical to our normally human, sinful nature, earthly, worldly existence these verses are, and how abnormal, perhaps, to many, living the Christian life would seem. So Romans 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our mind. We'll have no shortage of time, uh, or pressure, I should say, outside forces exerting on us to conform to the ways of this world. But we as Christians are given this needful reminder by Paul that we are truly transformed by the renewal of our mind. It is that transformation found only in knowing who Christ is, what he has done for us, the gifts of the Holy Spirit given to us through our faith and through our baptism, that we can let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, do those things that are antithetical to our natural human response, like bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, repay no one evil for evil, living peaceably with all, never avenging ourselves, and certainly if our enemy is hungry, feed him. Take care of what ails those who we vehemently disagree with. So that is the epistle lesson. Like I said, I acknowledge that was longer than I normally would take on any one of these lessons. But the reason I wanted to do that was because when you read that, and then you go to something like CNN.com or even Twitter or Facebook, and you see the vitriol that's out there. You see how quickly people are wanting to jump on other people and, and put them down, put them to shame, bring them uh, to an end almost, end their careers, end their jobs, their livelihoods. Uh, we need that reminder that Paul needed to give the Roman Christians, but also uh, is something we truly need here today. So that wraps up the epistle lesson, Romans chapter 12. And I would certainly encourage you as you go about this week to go through that entire chapter. It is truly an incredible, and Romans is just chock full of uh, not only incredible theology, but the reality of what God has done for us in Christ. And now we get to the gospel lesson where we read very truly of those mercies of God. Uh, in it, it's from Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is foretelling uh, his death and resurrection. 
And this is just after uh, Peter, the reading we'll hear this weekend, Peter confessed, uh, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It occurs just after that. We read, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. You got you to applaud uh, uh, Peter. He had some guts. Uh, he was not a uh, not a wallflower, I guess you could say. He not only cuts off the ear of the guy who comes to arrest Jesus uh, on uh, right after the the Good Supper while they're praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, but also here uh, Jesus begins to tell him about what he must do uh, for the whole world. And so Peter takes him aside and says, "Hey, hey wait a minute! Uh, far be it from you, Lord! This shall never happen to you." Essentially, Peter says, I'm not going to let this happen. This is not going to fly. And we read in verse 23, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Here again, this is why this gospel reading and the epistle lesson are tied together. We have the contrary a contrarian positions, right? The positions of man and the positions of God. That as humans, our natural response, and you can sympathize with Peter. Imagine if a good friend of yours, someone you looked up to, a leader that you trusted, said, you know, I think this is all going to be over soon. And you saw all these things going on, these wonderful things they were doing. You, you would probably, your first natural reaction would be just like Peter. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? No, this doesn't have to be it. What are you talking about? You don't need to do that. And certainly that's not even talking about a serious uh, of a topic like Jesus was where he said he needed to be killed and suffer things from those who were respected highly in his community, the, the chief priest and the scribes. So Peter's kind of the everyman in this instance. He, he is what we'd probably do in this very scenario. Said, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen. I ain't going to let it happen. Of course, that is our first natural human response. I'm never going to let anything happen. We, we often think that about those we care about. Even We're, We'll never let anything happen to you. And of course, the reality is, Peter could not stop the crucifixion of Jesus. Peter certainly could not stop God's plan. But Jesus reminds him, and, you know, this is just after Jesus has said, Blessed are you, uh, Simon Bar-Jonah, uh, on this rock, on your confession of that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church. Just after that, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, deceiver. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your things, your mind, sorry, you're, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. And then Jesus turns to his disciples in verse 24 and tells them what it's going to take to, quite frankly, stay his disciples, what they'll have to endure and how it ties into what he is going to endure. Jesus tells his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, it's interesting what Jesus says there. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Jesus knew exactly what was coming for him. He knew the events of Good Friday, and he also knew the events of Easter Sunday. And yet, uh, uh, imagine the pure uh, humility it took to know what was coming for him on the cross as we see here, I mean, him, he admits quite readily, take up his cross and follow me. And so uh, it's a reminder that uh, in a world where our natural inclination is to live for what's best in the here and now, whether that's in our earthly lives or simply in our daily lives, um, if we forfeit our soul for that, what are we doing? Uh, there's a saying I always love, which is it's a, a, a dime's worth of, uh, a dime's worth of worry on a nickel's worth of problems, right? That there's, in some sense, we are, we have got it so reversed. If we forfeit our soul, if we forfeit our faith, if we uh, ignore God, live contrary to God, simply to please ourselves today, what are we really doing? And this is another one that just like Paul in Romans, you know, this tightens the screws pretty tight on who we are. Because the reality is none of us live perfectly. None of us, some of us, you know, every single day, there's a little bit of us that lives for that day. That we do the things that are best maybe just for that day, even if in the long term it would uh, be problematic. Um, so... I will, uh, you know, remind people that, again, even in the midst of a pandemic, even when many perhaps uh, are not able to safely come to worship, though we do, you know, we have our protocols, we have our registration online, uh, but rightfully so, and, and certainly well-respected here, there are those who feel based on their own uh, personal health they're not able to come to worship. My challenge would be in those situations, how do we ensure that we are still actively in our active in our faith life and active in uh, this community of believers, making sure you're active in God's word, making sure you're active in the things that God, uh, the gifts that God has given to you. Now, uh, and one of those gifts certainly would be communion. I know uh, I speak for Pastor Tom, Thomas and Pastor Thompson. Uh, we have done uh, several. A multiple a private communion services, short 10, 15-minute services for those who aren't comfortable uh, yet coming back for uh, worship but are immensely um, missing the sacrament. And I love doing those. The gifts that God gives us in his word and his sacrament, um, that is an incredible gift and one that should not be forfeited lightly and one that should be 
um, truly cherished. And so if you are, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, yo, I haven't been back to worship because I have a pre-existing condition or I have a, another reason with my job or uh, maybe a family member that lives with me where I, I couldn't in good conscience come back in person just yet. Uh, I, and you are uh, have not received uh, communion since COVID uh, first shut everything down. I would certainly encourage you to reach out to our church office here and, and set up um, a private communion service. We would love uh, to do that. Uh, but also, as you are in your homes, certainly, and as we are all forced to kind of take a, an account of <laughs> what we are able and able and not able to do, uh, be active in God's word. Be active in your faith. Uh, this is not a time for us to ignore what God has to say for us, but a time to cherish it. And so uh, when Jesus says, you know, for whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Uh, what profit is a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? He really, truly is hitting at one of the key issues we have going on right now, which is, um, quite frankly, you, your faith should not be put on the back burner just because you may not be personally able to come to church. Uh, and so... Uh, that is one of those things that, again, with COVID, there's an opportunity to do a lot of self-reflection. We all can take an account of how well we've done in staying active in, in our faith but, and actively meditating on God's word day and night, as Psalm 1 would tell us to do. So that is the gospel lesson from Matthew chapter 16. I know we're running a little tight on time here. I'm at the at the 50-minute mark already. So we're going to go quickly through the psalm and then the Old Testament reading. Psalm 26 is a psalm of David, starting at verse 1. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep away my soul, do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity, redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground in the great assembly. I will bless the Lord. Now, there's a couple things with this psalm I think to point out, and especially on a limited time basis um, that we have about nine minutes now. Um, first is, obviously, if you know David's life, you know that some of the things he is saying about himself for the course of his life are, uh, are not perfect. He, in fact, did very truly much be like those who are bloodthirsty. Uh, he sent Uriah to die so that he could have his wife. He committed adultery with Uriah's wife. So when uh, you read this and you read the Psalm of David, and then you read uh, David say, I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord. Let's not confuse this with thinking that David thinks he's perfect. He does not. But rather, David is talking about 
the ideal, what we ought to not only esteem for, but also do in our lives, that we should be uh, blameless before the Lord, that we shouldn't actively seek out sin, certainly not a wickedness or bloodthirstiness, um, that we should walk in God's faithfulness, that we should truly love the habitation of God's house, the place where God's glory dwells. That's a maybe a good verse to remember uh, if you have kids at home and maybe one morning, Sunday morning, they want to sleep in. <laughs> Remind them that we ought to love the habitation of God's house, the place where his glory dwells. Do not, uh, and uh, David saying, I shall walk in my integrity, redeem me and be gracious to me because my foot stands on level ground in the great assembly. I will bless the Lord again. This is the ideal. This is what uh, we ought to do as those who trust wholeheartedly in that steadfast love of God. Um, but of course, we do know how often we also fail in that. Uh, and that is the gospel that we who do not really deserve to be able to make even uh, remotely uh live out a life that is close to what David uh, claims here. Uh, do not even begin to deserve the love that God has shown for us. We have received it in abundance. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, we have that opportunity to live as God intends to be uh, the children of God that he intends us to be. Uh, but when we do fail, there is grace because we will fail. We are it is the now, not yet. We are still sinners. And yet, while we were still sinners, Christ did truly die for us. That Christ truly did die for you. And then I want to get to the Old Testament reading um, just as a quick wrap-up. We're just going to read through it quickly and then uh, close with prayer. And uh, I'll uh, wish you a, a safe rest of your weekend uh, here today. So the Old Testament reading is from Jeremiah 15, verses 15 through 21. O Lord, you know... Remember me, visit me, take vengeance for me on my persecutors. This is interesting how uh, Paul and Jeremiah would have gotten along in this moment. And Jeremiah does ask the Lord to give vengeance. But clearly, uh, at this moment, Jeremiah is not uh, in a mindset to bless those who persecute him. And you'll notice in, the, in these verses, that is kind of the way um, this particular pericope works. It begins with a lament, and then you have God's response. So this lament goes all the way through the end of verse 18. Uh, we continue in verse 15, though. In your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake I bear reproach. Your words were found, and I ate them. And that word in Hebrew, a call to eat, is to consume. Um, and so when he says, your, uh, your words, I ate them, really... Um, He's talking about that meditating on God's word that inwardly digests them. That's why in Hebrew, sometimes a fire will eat wood. What does that mean? It consumes it. It, it engulfs it and it, it digests it in that very true sense. So your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. I did not sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because your hand was upon me. And you had filled me with indignation. Here's really the crux of Jeremiah's lament. Why is my pain unceasing? My wound incurable, refusing to be healed. Will you be to me like a deceitful brook? Like waters that fail? And here is God's answer. 
Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, I will restore you, and you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. They shall not turn to you, but you shall, uh, they, sorry, they shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. And I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked <coughs> and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. What a great uh, contrast between those two, uh, that lament, the, the, the pain that Jeremiah has asking God to take it away. And what God says that he'll make him a, a fortified wall of bronze. Uh, now we are at the 57 minute mark, so I do have to wrap it up. Um, as for uh, our, our radio uh, broadcast and for our Bible study listeners at home today. But let uh, let us end with a prayer, uh, remembering that as we go about this week, that truly take those words of Romans 12 to heart. Uh, and I do challenge you to try and live them out. It's not easy, right, to bless those who persecute you and don't repay uh, when someone does evil unto you. Yet that's exactly what uh, Paul and what God calls us to do. And it's a great reminder that uh, even when we come across those we disagree with, whether it's about COVID, elections, uh, worship, whether it's about even our sports teams or what should happen with sports this fall, schools, whatever it is, when we come across those that we would uh, disagree with, we are still called to treat them with a, a genuine love, a true love, a love that uh, looks to help them and, and uplift them. So let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the many gifts you've come and brought to us today. We thank you for your word, a word that speaks very directly to us in our situation today. A word that reminds us to allow the vengeance to be yours, but that as far as it goes for us, we ought to be peacemakers with others. We ought to go out and be that love of Christ that it was that Christ first showed uh, to us, that truly in view of your mercies, Lord, uh, we are uh, able to shower even our enemies with that love that you gave to us. We pray that you would keep us safe as we travel perhaps to and from church or to and from school this week, and certainly safe as we continue to work uh, to end the, the current pandemic. Uh, we give you great thanks today that you have allowed us to hear your word and in all that we do, we pray that we would do it to the glory of your holy name and to your holy will. And it's in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit we pray. Amen. All right, well, that does it for this week. We'll be back on next week uh, with another Bible study looking at the verses for September 6th.